My wife and I are honored to be invited back to Bay City again and uh, to be able to share with you the ministry and the work of God in our lives. It is truly a privilege and an honor. So good morning once again, everybody. And um, we're really, really happy to be here and enjoying all the kiwi food. Praise God. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you the Word of God. And I want to talk about how to bring Christ into our culture. I want to talk about how we can shine our light for Jesus in the world that we live in. If you have a Bible view this morning, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, give your neighbor a smile. I'm sure neighbor's more than happy to share the Word of God with you. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 11. Found it? The Bible says here, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told, King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we all can come into your house to worship you as a family. Father, we pray that every week when we come, it is not just for a session of singing, not just for a session of hearing the word, but Father God, it will be an opportunity for us to encounter you, for us, oh God, to touch heaven, oh God, for our lives to be changed and transformed into the image of Christ more and more. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say... Amen. I want to go back to the Old Testament, to the background of what I want to share with you this morning. As early as the book of Exodus in chapter 35 and chapter 36, this was the first time God told the children of Israel that you are to build a tabernacle for me. And so God gave a blueprint to Moses and told him exactly how to build the tabernacle of God. And it was the first time that the children of God embark on an Arise and Build program. They gave and they gave. Every day, each family tried to find something precious to be given to the Lord. And church, you know what? They kept giving and they gave so much that Moses got to issue a command that no one should give anymore. And I believe that's the dream of every pastor, that the church would give so much that Pastor Mike say. Okay, guys, that's more than enough. Stop giving because we've got more than enough for the building of the house of God. And of all the furniture in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony was definitely the most important piece of furniture of all. It is the place where in the days of the Old Testament, the presence of God dwells. It is located in the Holy of Holies. Even the high priest can only go in there once a year. Are you with me? The Holy of Holies, where the Ark of God was, is the place where God's Spirit, where God would be whenever He travels with the children of God. And so this was the background of the building of the tabernacle by Moses. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, and right now we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 11. The children of Israel embark on the battle with the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 11. So, the, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistine and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistine encamped in Apec. That 
Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. In the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, while the children of Israel were defeated by the Philistines, they went to inquire to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the camp of the Israelites. Friends, instead of relying on the presence and the power of God, they thought, since we lost this battle, probably the best way now to defeat our enemies is to trust ourselves on the magical power of the Ark of the Covenant. If you look at the attitude of the children of Israel, they didn't really believe the power of God. They merely wanted the magical power that comes with it. Are you all with me? Are you all with me this morning? Yes? So what happened was, so they tried again to fight against the children of, I mean, to fight against the Philistine for a second time, they lost the battle. So now the Philistine thought, since they've lost the battle, let us bring back the Ark of the Covenant into our camp. So they brought it back to the temple and disaster struck the camp because every night their goddess of Dagon would fall. The idol of Dagon would fall and his head would break off from the body. And so now the Philistines got really upset and scared at the same time. Who is this God in the Ark of the Covenant that even our God, our idol, feared him? So from then on, they said, well, I think the problem lies with this God Almighty. Let us get rid of him. And from then on, the Ark of the Covenant remained in of Jerim, according to 1 Samuel chapter 5 to chapter 6. And so this is the background. That when the children of God started to build the Ark of God, and when they started to worship God in there, God's presence was with them. But then they started to change. They began to rely on the magical power. So-called, they just, somehow, God, if you're here, you should work for us. But then they realized that it was not like that. And the Ark of the Covenant was being taken away by the Philistines and later on kept at Kirjaf Jerim. Here's where the story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Are you with me? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, King David rose up to be one of the most prominent kings Israel has ever seen. He fought his battle. He fought with all the different uh, uh, countries and nations and kings. And he defeated them all. And after he's tasted all the victories and conquered enemies from all sides and drove them away, then King David suddenly realized that the Ark of the Covenant is not with the children of God. And so he desired to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath Jerim back to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. So he tried to hold it and the anger of the Lord was aroused and Uzzah died. King David became upset and angry, took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite and said, what should I do? How should I bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? If when we try to bring it back and when the, when the oxen stumble and when Uzzah, my servant, tried to catch it, the Lord's anger was aroused that Uzzah would die. 
And so the story now comes back to where we read the text this morning in verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, the Bible says. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And so while the ark of God remained in this man's house called Obed-Edom, the blessings of God remained in that house. Now the best part about King David is this. He was a great king. He was a shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. But he was so human. He was so real. He was actually jealous that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom instead. In verse 12, now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. The first time he got it wrong, because he tried to carry the ark from the back of an ox. But it was supposed to be carried on poles by the priests. Are you with me? So he learned from his mistake. So he heard about what happened to Obed-Hedom. And now he took the ark through the poles through the, on the shoulders of the priests and brought the ark back from Kirjav Jarim, from Obed-Hedom's home, back to Jerusalem. What is so significant about this story today? And how do I tie with bringing Christ into culture? All this while, the children of Israel were taught that only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to worship God, and that's where the dwelling of God is. However, there is a change when we come to 2 Samuel. For the first time, the Ark of the Covenant was not in the Holy of Holies, yet the household of Obed-Edom was being blessed. For the first time in the history of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant was not in the Holy of Holies. It was not after the outer court, the holy place, and the Holy of Holies, whereby the high priest could only go in once a year. But now it was in Obed-Edom's home. And yet Obed-Edom, instead of curse, instead of being killed by God, he was being blessed instead. Three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, where the presence of God is, there is blessing. Where the presence of God is, there is blessing. Number two, that it is actually possible for the Ark of the Covenant to be outside of the tabernacle and still commands God's favor. And still commands God's favor. Number three, the presence of God can transform a person's life. The presence of God can transform a person's life. So that's my introduction. And now let me share with you point number one. Where the presence of God is, there is blessing. Why do we come to church over the weekend? Why do we come to worship God? Because we believe that when we build the house of God, the house of God where the presence of God dwells today, the house of God will be a blessing to generations and generations to come. The house of God is a place whereby lives will be changed, whereby the sick will be healed, whereby vision will be formed, whereby there will be a great new desire to do a greater thing with the life that God has given to us. However, the church of God does not depend on gadgets. The church of God does not depend on the sound system, on the lighting, on the projector. Just because we've got a new projector, it doesn't mean our church will grow by another 100 people in the coming week. Just because our church has the latest sound system, it doesn't mean that our church will automatically grow to a whole new level. 
Friends, we rely on the strength and anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is the point of coming to church if God is not here? What is the point of coming to worship God if the presence of God is not here? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so if we have anything to boast, we boast that Christ is the one who used our life. My pride of life is Jesus Christ, my Savior. The Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so every week when we come to the house of God, there ought to be a tangible presence of God. That when we lift up our hands to worship, that God is here. That when we come to serve the Lord, whether it's an ashes ministry, whether it's a security ministry, whether it's a lighting, the sound of the camera, we ought to do our very best so that God's presence will be here. And one of the more important things is that when we pray, when we worship, the Bible says God dwells in the praises of His people. And that's why we're here. And that's why when God is in our midst, our church will grow. When God is in our midst, our lives will grow. Our family will be transformed by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And everyone say, However, the truth of the matter is this. A church can still grow without God. When you have the right plan and the right strategy, the church will still grow. But the point is this. The presence and anointing of God is not measured by growth. We can be successful. We can be achieving. We can grow by 100% every year. But it still does not meet the favor of God. Truly, we want to build a house whereby God would love to inhabit. We've got to build our lives in such a way that God will want to come. The Bible says, the Lord commands a blessing when the brethren dwell in unity. And when we stay united as a church, when it's come time to worship, we worship. When it's time to praise, we praise. When it's time to fast, we fast. When we do that, the Bible says the Lord's presence will be with us. The Lord will command a blessing. And all of God's people say? And so the presence of God, in a story that we read just now, was with Obed-Edom. And because of that, the household of Obed-Edom was being blessed. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, that it is actually possible for the presence of God to be outside the four walls of the church and still make impact. The Ark of the Covenant never left the Holy of Holies prior to it being at Obed-Edom's house. Never. But friends, Obed-Edom's life and his family and his household was being blessed. That it is possible that God's presence that we carry with us can leave the four walls of this church building and go into the marketplace and penetrate the marketplace and influence our society and our community and our world for Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You see, in the past, Christians are like giants in the church, but are nobody in the community. We can be leaders, committee members, speaking and teaching all the time. But when we are out there in the world, we feel that we are nobody. We feel that we don't even have the courage to admit that we are believers of Jesus Christ. Well, that mindset ought to be changed. The mindset ought to be transformed with a new one. We are taught to be effective in ministry, 
faithful in teaching the Bible study, fruitful in leading our youth programs, and anointed in worship leading. But somehow, when we go out there in the world, we just think that we are not adequate to do something for our company, for our family, for in the workplace. So we thought that, well, whatever we learn in the church is boring, and that is why we can't connect with the people. And as a result, I have nothing to offer. So I just turn up work, you know, go, go to work on time and, uh, and, and finish work on time and just pray to the God of heaven that I will not be fired for no reason. And so we live in fear because we think that we're not good enough. You may be able to grow your youth group. You may be able to multiply your cell group. But somehow we feel that we're not good enough to grow our department, to increase sales in our company. Oh, I can have the most beautiful voice in the church. But we have this mindset thinking that if I go out there in the world and join Australian Idol or New Zealand Idol, do we have New Zealand Idol? Somehow we think, oh, I'm just a Christian singer. Oh, I'm just a worship leader. I will never be good enough. The devil traps us by limiting the mindset of the believers of the house of God to make us think that we're never good enough. As a result, believers get stuck in a rut. Even though they may be leaders, they command hundreds in the church. When they go out there, they feel they're nobody. After all, you know, who am I? I am but a worm. That silly, humble prayer that Christians always pray. So as a result, we kept the presence of God inside the four walls of the church. The moment we step into church, we feel like we are heroes. We feel like we are somebody. But the moment the service is over, we walk out, we feel like a nobody again. So when we kept the presence of God within the tabernacle of the church, within the four walls of the church, no wonder the world can never see the glory of Christ that's supposed to be through us, to be transmitted through us, through our lives. Back in Malaysia, I always challenge and discipline my young people to do well. I'm blessed with a church of 1,200 young people. And all of them are young and energetic. And all of them has got faith, has got courage. But I could challenge them and teach them to do well in the world out there so that the glory of God, the gift of God that is within them can be released, can be realized so that the potential can actually be exposed and confound the world. That the world will be shocked that all these young people, that they may be young, but they're so mature in their thinking. They're so smart in their working that they do produce results in life. That means, friends, we got to perplex. We got to amaze the world and bewilder the world with the beauty of God's glory. And how can the world see the beauty of God's glory? It's going to be through our lives. Our friends will not just walk into the church one day because somehow they heard in a prayer somewhere that God told them, go to church. How many of us here this morning, you walk to church one day because the night before you had a dream, God told you to go to Bay City? There will be, but not many. There will be a few, but not many. So it is going to be through our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we talk, the way we carry ourselves, that we carry the presence of God from out from within of the four walls of the church to go out there and be a blessing to the world that we live in. 
And everyone say that whatever we teach in the church is actually good. Whatever we learn in the house of God, if it's good enough for God's people, it is good enough for the world out there. All the leadership sessions that you have learned, go and share with your colleagues at the workplace and they will be amazed by your wisdom and say, how come you never shared this with us? They are waiting to hear the message that we receive from the house of God. And yet we think that our message is not good enough. As a result, we don't share. Jesus says, do not say that it is still four more months until the harvest. Jesus says, it is already wide for harvest. The world desperately needs the word of God. The world is desperate to see the kind of passion, the kind of conviction that is in us that we would wake up on a Sunday morning every week, week in and week out, 52 weeks a year to go to the house of God, that you would, I saw in the bulletin, that you would save up $4,000 to go to China to influence the people of China with the love of God. How many people would do that in the world out there? But your passion is going to impact them. What you have learned in the church to grow your cell group is good enough to grow your department. What you have learned, the leadership principles that you have learned from pastors here in this place, it's good enough to increase sales in a workplace. At the end of the day, every business is about the customers. Every church is about the members. If you know how to, to look after your members well, you know how to change them with the Word of God, you know how to lead them and guide their lives. And I can assure you, your staff, your workers in your office will always do better and better. And so the other example I said, oh, pastor, I'm just a worship leader. This is just a word. Christians, oh, I'm just an usher. Oh, I'm just the head of the security in the church. I'm just, what does it mean by just? Are we just nobody? If we are nobody, why would Jesus die for us? It would be pointless for Jesus to buy, to die for nobody. But in reality, we are somebody made in the image of God. And everyone say, and so, so don't say, oh, pastor, I'm just a backup vocalist. How am I be good enough to join New Zealand Idol? But the world saw a shift two years back when the mentality of the church starts to change, when Christians begin to believe that the glory of God that is in them can confound the world. In Indonesia, one day, I mean, one year, in Indonesian Idol, probably the nation with the best singing people I've ever met. Ten finalists of the Indonesian Idol, nine of them were worship leaders in the churches in the city of Indonesia. Nine! Come on, let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah! The world began to see because when worship leaders join New Zealand Idol, they do not just sing a song, they carry God's presence. It will touch the judges. It will confound the judges. Even they may not know what's happening, but they say, maybe you don't sing in tune, but there's something magical in your singing. Of course, in, in the early days, Guy Sebastian proved the world that Christians can be good singers in the world out there. Think about it. People like the band like Backstreet Boys, they're all Christians who believe in God. They, they can do well. They can sing. I mean, they've got thousands and thousands of fans. Maria Carey is a Christian. Beyonce grew up as a Christian. 
Wyclef in America, Christian. You too, a band that never shy away from their faith. In one of the concerts that I watched on DVD, he actually sang in the spirit for half an hour and got all the people who went into the stadium and waved their mobile phone. And he sang, Yahweh, Yahweh. He sang the name of God. And people paid 200 US dollars to worship God. How cool is that? Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. And I tell you, pastor won't mind if you guys have to pay 200 bucks to come to church every week. All our mission program will be taken care of. And all our future kids, our preschools will all done up. People would pay when we have something to offer. And what do we have to offer? The presence of God. The glory of God that comes out through our lives. That when you speak, you're more than just a motivational speaker because you bring out the word of life to people. You don't just motivate. You don't just inspire. You transform people. How many people in your office, think about it, that actually have the potential to change people's life by scolding people and asking them to perform, to perform, and to perform. But when we go to cell group, when we preach the word of God, people's lives are actually changed. They used to be an addict. They used to be a smoker. But now they don't smoke anymore. Now they are worshiper of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is how we bring Christ into our culture. Through our lives. The Bible says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow, when I go back to work, no matter where I will be, now I'm a church planted in the office. It doesn't matter if my colleagues swear all the time. It doesn't matter if my boss curse me all the time. I'm here as a church planted. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I am here because I'm here to influence the world for Jesus Christ. Come on, let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah. Amen. So let our faith be relevant. Our talent recognized and honored by the world. The world is waiting for us to go to them with a message that will transform them. In a time that we carry the ark of God, when the presence of God is within us right now, and then when we bring it out from outside the four walls of this church building, then we are bringing a blessing to the world that we live in. So we talk about faith in church. Do we show faith in our workplace? When we do, and when we bring faith into our workplace, people's lives will be changed. Why? Because we have Christ in us. The Bible says, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. These are promises. Proclamation like, we're the head and not the tail. We are in front and not behind. Those should not just be captions. Those should be values that we live by on a daily basis. And so we got to build a church to build a group of people who will influence and penetrate the marketplace. Now, I use the word influence, not evangelize, because we are not called to evangelize to our colleagues, to our bosses, everywhere we go all the time. You know, you don't want to go to office tomorrow and say, people, my people, I'm a Christian. If you do not give your hearts to Jesus, you will be doomed in hell and burned in fire. Ha, 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 ha. Give your hearts to Jesus Christ right now. Now, if we live like that, 
Everyone will shy away from the church. Why? Because now we become crazy. We, people look at us, we're, oh, Christians, they're weird. Don't hang out with Christians. No, we sh- don't have to be that. Sometimes God wants us to just influence the world that we live in. To change, probably it was negative in the office, but now they become positive. Two models that we can adopt to change our world. Number one is the antagonistic model. What is the antagonistic model? The church is against everybody, it's against the world, against everything, especially things that are amoral. What do I mean by that? We are against the government building a casino. We are against the music and the entertainment. We are against the art. We are against the government policies. We are against this. We are against that. We are against the education system. We are against the rich. So whenever something happens, so recently, of course, we have Harry Potter. And so the church went round, and they, you know, they got this, is it called a play card? And they, they go to the streets and say, ban the movie. You know, we will not watch City Harvest. We will not watch this movie. Harry Potter is a sign of the devil. And then for all we know, later on we realize that um, J.K. Rowling was a Christian. She said she tried to bring out the message that the good will overcome the evil, not necessarily evangelizing the world. Are you with me? Are you? So, so, so some Christians, we feel good by organizing all these demonstrations against the government, against this, against that. But friends, honestly, other than making us feel good, making us feel righteous, what do we achieve at the end of the day? Nothing. We achieve nothing. So the antagonistic model is against everything as long as it's not in the house of God. But then we can adopt a second model, which is the Daniel's model. How did Daniel's model work in his time? It is a model whereby we try to understand how things work and then gradually work within the system to bring about change and transformation. It's to gradually work within the system to bring about change and transformation. So we are unhappy with the education system. So why don't we become teachers, good teachers, that will start teaching in the school and influence the world, influence the kids, the next generation. And then you rise up, you do well, and then you become the principal. And now you can be in charge of an entire school. You can put in the values that you want. Now, you don't have to say, well, you're going to put in Bible principles and then put Christian words, Christian jargons in the front of the school. But we can put in the values so that when the kids come to school, they learn the positive things that actually it came from the Word of God. Are you all with me? Are you all... So we ought to learn to adopt the Daniel's model. Go into your workplace. Be the worker that you should be. Go to work early. And stay work. Stay up at work. I mean, everyone else is finished. You're still there doing your work. Why? Because you have a commitment to your boss. The Bible says, serve your masters as you serve Christ. So if you're the one at work, you always tell your boss, say, boss, I'm so sorry, I'm going to leave early today because I've got cell group. Boss, I've got to leave early today because I've got a meeting in church. And if we continue to do that, the bosses will not employ Christians anymore because we live a better life than them. We, we go off work earlier than them. How can we influence our bosses, our employers, if we live like that? Are you all with me? But instead, we should work harder than any ordinary people. Someone once told me this. If you do what you're supposed to do, you go to work on time, and leave your work on time, you are but a slave. 
a free man does more. Go to work and serve your boss with a cheerful heart. Don't turn up work tomorrow as if he owes you money. You know, he doesn't owe us a single thing. We owe them the privilege of shining for Jesus Christ in the workplace. Number two, the third lesson that we can learn from this story in 2 Samuel, and with this our end, that the Ark of the Covenant can transform us. The presence of God can change and transform our lives. Obed-Edom's family had the privilege for three months, spending three full months in close proximity with the presence of God. Can you imagine them in their time when they always have to wait outside the holy place or the outer court because the high priest would go in there to see the Ark of the Covenant, to seek the face of God, to worship God, and they can only wait outside. And then the high priest will come out, and then if it's, you know, the festival, it'll be a scapegoat, will be released, and all our sins will be carried away. But now, Obed-Edom, who used to wait outside to see what the high priest got to say, and now he's got the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of his living room. I don't know what happens in the house for the three months. I don't even know what, what it is like to have the tangible presence of God. Now, if you remember, the Bible tells us that the Holy of Holies has got no light at all. The outer court was an open area. The holy place was lit by the candlestick, right? But then in the Holy of Holies, it was totally pitch dark, but yet the Shekinah glory of God shines from within that box. Are you with me? And if that same situation applies in the home of Obed-Edom, every night, the entire family, they would have to box the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the living room. And probably there will be sound like this. I don't know. Maybe there's the glory of God shining out through the box. The house is lit up. By now, they've stopped the power supply. They told the government, said, hey, I don't need power supply anymore. Cut it off because I have the glory of God. They probably stopped watching television anymore. They have cut off Foxtel. I don't need Foxtel anymore because every night they just don't know what to expect. Every night, the family just sit around the box enjoying the presence of God, enjoying the tangible presence of God. The glow of His glory every night. It was unbelievable. A simple dinner turned into a feast. Quiet time turned into intimate worship. No longer worship a routine. No longer worship a boring mundane. Every day there was an encounter. Everything, the Bible says, turned into a blessing. I don't know what it means, but probably the house got bigger. The kids got stronger. The wife healthier. The sofa softer. The cows fatter and the pigs happier. I don't know because the Bible tells us that everything that was in the house was being blessed by God, not just the people, but the things. Three months later, the ark was to be taken away because King David was jealous. How can this presence of God be in this man's house? It should be in my temple that I'm going to build because I am the king of Israel. He did nothing wrong. He's a human. Suddenly, after the ark was being taken away for three months, Obed-Edom has a privilege of three months later, it's all gone. And then there's a sense of longing 
there's a sense of desire in the hearts of Obed-Edom. He missed God's presence. Do we miss God's presence after encounter with God? But he didn't just sit there because I missed God's presence. He actually went to serve wherever the ark was. Why? Because he said, I just want to be there. In First Chronicles, can we go into this last passage? Can I have the musicians, please? First Chronicles chapter 15. First Chronicles chapter 15. Are we all still good? Chapter 15 and verse 18. You see, before this, none of us heard about Obed Edom before. We don't have a clue who is this guy. But after that, in chapter 15 and verse 18. So let's have this verse 17. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the sons of Cushiah, and with them, the brethren of the second rank. Now, these are the backbenchers, the second rank. Zechariah, Ben-Jazil, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Umni, Eliab, Benaiah, Masaiah, Mephiphiah, Elif Pelay, Meknaiah, Obed, Edom, and Jael, the gatekeepers. So the people of God were trying to recruit gatekeepers to just be at the gate. And this is the second rank people. They are not the people on duty. They are the people who are on duty when the people who are supposed to on duty didn't turn up. And Obed-Edom was there. He said, hey, sir, I'm available because I miss the presence of God that was in my house. So he offered himself to be a gatekeeper. Verse 21, Mafihia, Elif Pelay, Mikneah, Obed-Edom, again his name, Jair and Azaziah to direct with harps on the Sheminif. So now he begins to get involved in the worship team. Oh, I want to be a part of the worship team. I want to come for rehearsals. I want to come to practice. Why? Because I know every time I come near to the presence of God, I remember that presence that was in my living room. Verse 24, Shebaniah to Shephat, Nathaniel, Amasiah, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer, the priest were to blow the trumpets before the ark of God and Obed-Edom and Jehiah, doorkeepers for the ark. I mean, come on. These guys is everywhere. He was a gatekeeper playing on a harp instrument and now he wants to be a doorkeeper which is closer to the ark of God. Verse 25, So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains of the thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. That's verse 25, right? And then chapter 16 and verse 5. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mephiphiah, Eliab, Benaiah, and Obed-Edom. Jael with string instruments and harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals. Verse 38. Verse 38. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jedetun and Hosea to be gatekeepers. Chapter 26 and verse 4. Verse 4. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom, Shemaiah, the firstborn, Jehozabad, the second, Joah, the third, Sekah, the fourth, Nathaniel, the fifth. Suddenly, his name is mentioned everywhere. Verse 15. To Obed-Edom, the south gate. Now he was assigned a gate. And to his sons, the storehouse. 
His one encounter with God has caused him to love God's presence so much that he longed for it. He said, God, I want to have your presence in my life every day. And not just to transform him, his sons, the Bible says, his sons followed the footstep of the father because the son experienced the presence of God as well. In St. Chronicles, the last passage, St. Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 24, and he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house, the hostages, and returned to Samaria. Obed-Edom's name was being found everywhere. Why? Because of an encounter with Jesus. Friends, today I want to share with you for all that we learn, for all that we've experienced, the power of God, what do we do with what God has blessed us with? Can we bring the presence of God from here into the world, from here into the marketplace, from here into our schools, into our family? And let's all just shine for Jesus. And let's take our world for Jesus Christ. Not barking out commands, not screaming to them that hellfire is going to burn them, but be loved, be an influence. Daniel never preached about God to the people of his time, but he influenced the entire government according to the will of God. We can do that in the city. We can do that. And when that happens, I believe with all my heart that this place will not be big enough to house all the people who want to know who is this God who changed our lives. Come on, let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer.